0: Our first Bible reading is going to be from Micah chapter 6, and that's on page 659 of the Pew Bibles. So page 659, Micah chapter 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your god listen the lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom heed the rod and the one who appointed it am I, to, am I still to forget o wicked house your ill-gotten treasures and your and the short ephah, which is accursed shall i acquit a man with dishonest scales with a bag of false weights her rich men are violent Her people are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sin. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up, but save nothing, because what you save I will give to the sword you will plant but not harvest, you will press olives but not use the oil on yourselves, you will crush grapes but not drink the wine, you have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house, and you have followed their traditions, therefore I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision, you will bear the scorn of the nations."
1: Brothers and sisters, now we turn to 1 Peter 3 8 to 22 on page 858 under the subheading Suffering for Doing Good. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for, to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let me add my welcome. Uh, If you're new visiting, it's great to have you amongst us. If you could turn back to that first reading in Micah, we've been uh, looking at the prophet of Micah. Micah was 700 years before Jesus was born. The big issue in Micah, uh, Micah's name means who is like the Lord. We're reminded again and again, there, there is no one like the Lord, reminded how great he is that we might be encouraged to praise him uh, and seek to be like him. Uh, we prayed earlier that, uh, and gave thanks for safe arrivals. Uh, in case people haven't heard, uh, Abigail Craig Uh, Colin and Natalie's uh, latest child arrived safely earlier this week on Tuesday, they're returning home today and so that's uh, cause for thanks uh, to the God who gives life Uh, and as we turn to his word uh, we remember the God who gives new life. Uh, Let's pray. Our Lord and Father we are thankful for your word, we're thankful that you are the God who with a word gives life, we thank you for uh, the life of Abigail and her safe arrival, we thank you even more for your spirit that gives new life. Uh, we pray that this morning your spirit might be at work in each and every one of us. Uh, Father, as uh, we look closely at what you have written down, uh, we ask that you would be writing it by your spirit on our hearts and minds. Uh, grow in us, Lord, a love of you, for there is none like you. Uh, make us love you all the more that we might live to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. It was in the 4th century, fourth century uh, that the Roman Emperor Julian wrote this about Christians. Uh, the impious Galileans, that's Christians, the impious Galileans support not only the poor, uh, their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So Julian wrote that as an observation of Christians. Now, it wasn't a compliment. Uh, Julian was also known as Julian the Apostate. Uh, He was the emperor who restored paganism and he tried to rid the ruling, you know, Christianity from the ruling classes. But what he noticed was something about the life of Christians, that there was this this, this link between Christian belief and active justice. And that's a link that that still exists today uh, across the denominational body called the Micah Challenge exists. You can kind of guess where they got their name from. Uh, They exist to politically engage first world countries on behalf of third world citizens. Uh, They have two goals. Uh, First, inward change, to to prayerfully encourage Christians to walk humbly with God and seek his heart for people in poverty. Uh, And secondly, outward action, to inspire and equip Christians to do justice, love kindness by being prophetic voices to our government and community on behalf of the poor and oppressed. They see as well the very real and true link between Christian belief and active justice. Now perhaps that's a link uh, you've never made before. You've never seen how how God's righteousness should shape the way you treat others. Maybe that's where you are. Uh, Or perhaps you're quite well aware of it, but for some reason there's been a a broken link in your life. That belief isn't flowing on. Or maybe you're here today because, no, no, you're well aware of it. You, you, you know, it captures completely your experience and your observation of, of God's work in Christians. You know that there is a flow. People believe stuff and they go and do things. Um, however you come this morning to Micah, uh, it's a point and a link that Micah makes perfectly clear for us. Uh, the Christian belief leads to an active pursuit of justice. 6 verse 8 is the key verse. He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That is, there is a link that should be evident in our lives, your life. One point from Micah 6 this morning, uh, that God's passion for justice calls us to be passionate for justice. Uh, to Put another way, God's justice should flow through us. Uh, 6 verse 1, We come with me as we walk through the chapter. 6 verse 1 starts with a call to listen. Uh, Here, pay attention. He, he's done the same: one verse two, uh, three verse one. Uh, it's a marker of a, of the final major section of his prophecy. And just as God did in the the opening chapter, he had a case, a legal case, to bring against his people. Uh, now, given that this book, you know, seven chapters is actually a summary of three decades worth of Micah's preaching, it's likely that uh, uh, they hadn't listened <laughs> to the first couple of times, and so by now. It's likely the, north, the northern part of the kingdom has fallen and Assyria is on their doorstep. They still haven't been paying attention. So God has a case. Uh, God comes with legal proceedings against his people. The, the image says something about how much the relationship has deteriorated. Yeah, and he calls the mountains in verse 2, uh, the mountains who have seen so much over the centuries, uh, the mountains to bear witness to what is a long-term breakdown. It's not something that just happened like that. He needs his people to understand how divine justice calls them to share his passion. Their crime in verse three is that they're tired. Well that is, God wearies them. He's burdened they're burdened by God. For for all he's done, they are worn out and exhausted by God. You know, emotionally they're you know finding God exasperating and tedious. You know, in bringing a case, God is, is sarcastically teasing out, well, why is it that you might be so burdened by me? Why, why have I burdened you? Let me recall a few things I've done for you, a few righteous acts. You know, which of these is burdensome? So in first in verse 4, you know, his redemption. Um, he recalls this time that he brought them up out of Egypt from slavery under Moses, where he, he broke the chains of oppressors, where he gave them freedom. You know, and God is challenging his readers now, which, which part of that redemption, that incredible redemption, did you find so burdensome and tedious? Yeah, which bit was boring? Was it, was it one of the you know, kind of ten uh, signs culminating in the despairing of the firstborn? Were, that, were they tedious to you? Or, or maybe it was when I sent that wind and drove the, the back of the waters and you walked through dry ground. Yeah, which part of freedom do you find me so boring in bringing? Yeah, and maybe it's not that. Still in verse 4, God recalls the leadership that he provided. Uh, in Moses, they had this unique mediator. They had a man who was a friend of God, one who could kind of bridge the gap between divine and human. You know, and, and they had Aaron acting as priest and Miriam acting um, with gifts of prophecy. And it's like God saying, Israel, are you upset because I didn't let you wander around aimlessly? Are you upset because I actually gave you direction? Is that, is that why you're wearied by me? Or, or in verse 5, he goes on and he cites his protection against enemies. You know, uh, the incident, Balak... Uh, had paid this prophet Balaam and he'd given him plenty of good cash, curse, my, curse the people of God. And God didn't just neutralise that threat, he actually turned it around to a blessing. You know, and he's saying, was it my protection? Is that what made you just sick of me, so bored with me? Still in verse 5, there's this journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that's shorthand for saying the crossing of the Jordan, they're the two places they went to and from. Uh, again it was that moment where where God stopped the Jordan River in flood that they could a whole nation could walk through on dry land and enter a land that He had promised them, a land He was giving to them. And it's kind of like God saying, was, was it the fact that I was faithful to all my promises? Is is that what's made me dull that I that I keep promises? See, in no a matter of lines, what God's doing is He's reviewing uh, His generosity to them. Yeah, in the language of six verse five He's giving an account of his righteous acts, his, his acts of justice. You know, it's a little insight even there that, that God's passion for justice is not primarily about getting vengeance. It's not, not first and foremost about punishment. God's righteousness is seen in, in dealing graciously with people. Now, and his case against them is that they have failed to respond with anything except disinterest. You know, they've forgotten all that they've received, they've taken it for granted. In verse 6 and 7, I think the tone, you know, the, the prophet is voicing and speaking on, the, the, on behalf of the people and, and the response is kind of an indignant response. It's, it's meant to be overblown as they come back against God yeah, and it only shows that they've still not grasped what God's love is all about. So after hearing all about God's kindness, uh, they're so bored with God, they just want to buy him off. You know, will God be happy in verse 6 with, uh, if I bring him a burnt offering? Uh, burnt offerings is a little more costly than, uh, than the peace offering. The peace offering, you got to eat uh, the meal that you brought to God. Uh, burnt offerings, it all just got consumed. You gave it away. They're, they were costly. Well, but if God's not happy with that, how about I bring a year-old calf? Yeah, you know, again, a year-old calf, the idea is it's expensive. I could have sacrificed it after a week. But actually, I've spent a year feeding this calf. You know, I've, I've fattened it up. Uh, no return. You know, will God be happy if I give him expensive presents? If I, if I make a show? You know, if that's not enough, verse 7, what if we, we copied King David or King Solomon who both made sacrifices of a thousand rams? Uh, and if that's not enough, okay, olive oil. Uh, olive oil was a commodity. Normally, you, you tithe it. It was precious. What about 10,000 rivers of the stuff? Will then God be pleased with me? Then can I kind of get him off my back? And it's, it's meant to be getting absurd. Yeah, and the peak of their misunderstanding, uh, human sacrifice. You know, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And this wasn't just theory. Uh, in Micah's time, you read it in 2 Kings 16, uh, King Ahaz, one of the kings in Micah's time, sacrificed his own sons to false gods. And the tone here is meant to be like a petulant teenager. You know, just what do you want from me, God? Yeah, great, you've done all these things, but I'm, I'm sick of you. maybe You know, maybe does, you know if I if I went to all six services over a weekend and I did that for a year and, you know, I wrote a big fat check to the building fund, well, then would God just get off my back and just let me get on with things? Now, they've experienced God's generous justice and they think God just wants a little bit of payment or a big payment and they can just send him on his way. Yeah, but what does God want? He wants righteousness to grip us. He wants his righteousness to grip us with a passion to be just like him. 6 verse 8 again, He has showed you, O man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. You know, what God wants is not a big mystery, he's, he's told. You know, the Lord's righteous act should flow through his people. You know, he's, his justice can't be bought off with big offerings, no matter how big they are. God's not interested in that kind of show or, or repayment to him. No, he redeems us that we might share his passion, that we might be like him. You know, remembering his justice, we go and do justice. Remembering his mercy, our, our motives become loving. Remembering his righteousness, we, we walk with him not pay him to go away. Yeah, but they have put a blockage in that natural flow. And it's, it's like, as you go through it, it's, it's like a, you know, a clogged artery. It's it's like a, a block drain, and you're going to go anytime there's a blockage in like an artery or a drain, you know that there's danger around the corner. You've got to you've got to get the blockage out of the way because in nine to sixteen he kind of spells out the consequences if you don't shift the blockage. You know, if you let all that righteousness just rest on you and don't let it kind of pass on. You know, verse ten, God won't forget their injustice the way they've forgotten His unrighteousness. Uh, in, in, as he goes on, he is going to remember in verse twelve. He will remember the violence of the wealthy, but as well, he'll remember the lies of the populace. In other words, there's not going to be favourites. In verse 13, the Lord himself will bring the, the painful side of his passion for justice. You know, since they have received so much, but won't pass it on, since it blocks on them, he will block all their efforts. So from 14... Uh, they're going to eat without satisfaction, they'll store without saving, they'll, they'll plant without harvest, they'll gain uh, no pleasure from the oil and wine that they make. You know, their punishment will be frustration. You know their, their their self-serving actions will actually prove to be wearisome and tedious and exhausting. All the things that they have accused God of being so burdensome to them for that. You know, for Judah, for, for the people Micah spoke to, um, humiliation was realised when the, when the Babylonians arrived and, and because they wouldn't willingly work for justice, uh, because they wouldn't give to others, they were forced to hand over the fruit of their labours to their Babylonian masters. Yeah, but even today you get a sense of that kind of frustration, can't we, when we, we block God's justice in that kind of when we, when we do self-interested work it, it ultimately is frustrating. Uh, in 2006 there was a, a great study about how um, altruism uh, lights up parts of our brain that, uh, with, with excitement that we normally only get f- uh, and reserve for food and sex. But there's something about altruism, doing good, being generous, that just kind of triggers in our brain. It, it actually is good for us. Seeking justice is good for us. And yet, so often we, we choose the frustration of self-interest. But God is passionate for justice. And that can't wash over us. It actually needs to flow through us. You know, we, we need to share that passion. Um, two words to help the flow happen in our lives. Remembrance and requirements. Uh, first, remembrance. Remembrance. Remember God's righteousness. Uh, the order in which Micah goes through things is not an accident. In, in verse 5, the Lord calls these bored people uh, to remember his righteous acts. And he does that before he gets them to go and do anything. You know, God takes the initiative, he always takes the initiative, and he just expects us to respond remembering what he's done. You know, remembrance is, is not just recollection that it happened, but it, it, it's, it's taking it on board, letting it be that which drives us. You know, and as Christians here today, sitting here in Kirribilli in the 21st century, we've, we've so much more to remember of God's righteous acts than they did 700 years before Jesus arrived. You know, we remember Jesus Christ, we remember him born one of us, God incarnate, God in the flesh, humbling himself. We remember Christ's perfect love and justice in the way that, that he was merciful to those he encountered. You know, we remember him, the Lord Jesus, nailed to the cross, as we read in 1 Peter 3, nailed there, Christ once for all, dying for our sins. You know, we remember his triumph over the grave. You know the, the first fruit of a whole crop uh, of everyone who believes in him will enter into new creation. We remember the Holy Spirit being poured out, securing our place in heaven, working in us even now to make us ready for heaven, making us more holy. We remember Jesus exalted to the Father's right hand at the end of what we read, read in 1 Peter 3 and we remember his promise that he will return when the elector gathered. We have so much more to remember of God's righteous acts and we need to remember and remembrance is vital to the Christian life because memory maintains relationship. Memory maintains relationship. Uh, My nana just turned 93. Uh, She's sadly suffering the effects of um, Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, So my nana was always uh, through her life a, a sharp woman, a great conversationalist, a bit of a kind of wit, a good laugh Uh, But now visiting her just um, largely means going around in circles with a lot of repetition on the same topics. Now she doesn't remember all the time um, her children, uh, let alone her grandchildren or great-grandchildren. So her disease robs her of relationships because she can only ever live in the moment. Uh, And with no clear past for her, there's kind of the fear because the the future is uncertain. She doesn't know about that either. Memory maintains relationships. It's why it's so vital that we remember. And the Christian life is all about remembering and remembering God's righteous acts. Because without that, all you have is the moment. It's why Jesus, in his final meal, he, he set up a memory aid. You know, regularly, have, have, have some bread, drink some wine, let's maintain our relationship as you remember me and remember all I've done. Because remembrance is the, it's the key to Christian growth. Uh, in 2 Peter 1, it talks about uh, the lack of progress in godliness, that if you don't have qualities like, you know, self-control and godliness, he says in, in 2 Peter 1, 9, you are short-sighted and blind, you have forgotten You've been cleansed from your past sins. You know, Peter raised the point, you know, a stagnant Christian life uh, comes from failing to remember all that Christ has done. You know, forgetfulness means you can't grow. Forgetfulness means you, you'll never move forward because you're just stuck in a moment. You know, and that, that beautiful idea of remembering all that God has done, it actually lifts burdens from us. It lifts two particular burdens. It lifts merit and it lifts novelty away from us. Yeah, you know, remembrance uh, relieves the pressure to merit. Yeah, you know, our, our actions for justice are only ever a response to what God has already done, uh, and so we act from a place of security, um, not not to gain acceptance. And what a relief that is, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I can give food to someone in need without worrying. Gee, I hope God noticed. I wonder if it was enough to pay off for the, some of the other things I didn't do well. No, no, no. I'm already completely accepted. I remember His righteous acts. And remember, remembering also takes away the pressure of novelty. Our culture is uh, always looking for what's new, and and that can be hard to keep coming up with. But it's okay in the Christian life not to always have flashes of great insights and learn new things, but actually to, to just keep reconsidering the old old truths and and wallow around in them and remember better. You know, I've been meeting and uh, reading the Bible with people for years now. Uh, I barely remember a flash of brilliance in, of insight in those times, but i 've had so many great reminders that just keep me going now, what a relief you don 't need those, those kind of novelties instead, if you want to grow as a Christian, just keep remembering, just keep doing the things that jog your memory you know keep reading your Bible, keep hanging around with Christian fellowship, keep you know taking and sharing in the lord 's supper, you know even the repetition of, of songs and and liturgy. Uh, You know, all these things that just help us remember. All these things within our grasp that will just keep us going. Remember God's righteousness. If we want it to flow through us, we must remember. Secondly, uh, requirements. We remember Him, but we pursue what God requires of those who remember Him. Uh, 6 verse 8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. God requires us to act justly. Not seek vengeance, it's about seeking right social relationships. That's what he wants. He wants us uh, treating people according to who they are, especially those who are less fortunate. I've been known to uh, respond to my children's cries of, you know, that's not fair. Uh, When a sibling receives something they wanted, I I give them a line. I point out that fair is not being treated the same. It's actually being treated according to who you are. And, you know, they really love me telling them that again and again. Uh, yeah, we who know God's actions to restore right relationships we actually go and actively seek the same, we treat people according to who they are, we do what is good for them according to. Yeah, we need to actually act on it though yeah, we do justice uh, Abraham Kuyper is an interesting guy he was um, both a theologian and for a time he was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, uh, he believed it was the church's responsibility to produce individuals who changed society, uh, rather than it being the kind of responsibility of the church banding together. So he wanted individual Christians to consider their spheres of influence, where they can actually make a difference and be an agent for justice just there. Uh, Now, I've got to say, I don't agree absolutely everything Kuyper said. um, I think there is still a place for the kind of church collectively to do things and act en masse and I think the Netherlands is kind of a quirky place the way it is, partly because of Christian thinking like that, but you can chat to me over morning tea about my views on the Dutch, um, lovely people. Uh, but the beauty, the beauty of what he is saying, is he personalises that call for justice. You know, it's a challenge. But it's not beyond us. There is a challenge. We actually need to personally act justly. You know, it is tempting to, to kind of rest on the thought that, oh, isn't it great? Our church has got a community pastor who organises the Winter Appeal, super. Or, you know, we've got a team who will be serving later today at the community lunch, great. Or, you know, we send financial support uh, to missionaries. And, you know, in the past they've dealt with things like fistula in Africa and, and leprosy in, uh, in Nepal, and in the end, it can leave us not actually doing anything ourselves to seek justice. Yeah, but starting from that your sphere of influence, it frees you from thinking that oh, either someone else will do it or that the justice is too big a topic for me to actually tackle, you know, and paralysed into inaction. It's okay to start small. Yeah, in your in your circle of friends in that sphere of influence. Be the be the agent of inclusion when, when kind of gossip starts to exclude. You know, act justly. In, in your workplace, be the one who, who actually honours your employer's money by, by working when their eye is not on you. you know, be the one who sets up an environment where, where people can actually flourish in their work and be encouraged. Yeah, in your community, look for those who are in difficulty and need. Yeah, and then you kind of work your way on to bigger and bigger goals. You know, God's passion for justice should, should flow through us, uh, even though it costs. That's what a lot of that 1 Peter 3 reading was about. You keep doing good even though it's suffering. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he responded to people, they made a, a complaint. Oh, I can't afford to give to the poor. He pointed out that we should expect to suffer when we take on people's burdens. He wrote, if we're never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbour's burdens when we bear no burden at all? Expect to bear some burden. God requires us to to act justly and even more, he wants us to love mercy. So it's not just about the deeds, it's it's our motivation that he's tapping into. If our hearts aren't gripped, we'll never act justly. A century before, uh, Emperor Julian uh, noticed Christian social action. uh, Dionysius, uh, Bishop of Alexandria, he observed the same. He wrote this, during the great epidemic, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. Any in nursing and curing others uh, transferring their, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Uh, the pagans behaved in the very opposite way. The first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest throwing them into the roads before they were dead. Now, only people who love mercy could do that. Uh, in our connect group, we've been reading 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 4, we're called to offer hospitality, but, but it was the caveat that struck uh, us the other night. Um, offer hospitality without grumbling. You know, God requires more than the action. He has requirements of your motive. And again, those motives are only going to be met when we we keep that final part of verse 8, when we walk humbly with our God. You know, the Lord is not overly interested in your show. Uh, He isn't keen on on frantic Christians trying to impress him with their own strength. Uh, He wants our actions and our motives to flow from the fact that we walk with him, we depend on him and, and walk in his ways, follow after him. You know, the requirements of the Lord are, are nothing more than expressing that we have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus and we follow Him. Now God's justice should flow through us. God's passion for justice means we need to have a, a similar care. You know, maybe today you've only just made that connection. Yeah, you hadn't seen before that, oh, wow, God loves me and it doesn't just stop with you. Maybe today you've seen that there's a broken link in that flow. Maybe you've been living forgetting all that God has done or even worse, you've been bored with him. Kind of a bit sicky here in the same old, same old. Maybe God has laid an area of injustice on you and your sphere of influence. Maybe he's just reassured you by his righteous acts on, on your behalf that have made you acceptable. Whatever he is doing to you now and saying to you this moment, Hold on to these words. He has showed you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Now, Lord and Father, we are thankful for your many and great righteous acts. We thank you that uh, in your justice you have made us just in your sight. Uh, Father, forgive us for our forgetfulness and help us to hang on to that and always uh, remember your great and righteous deeds that we might have a real growing and living relationship with you. Uh, Father, we pray as well that your justice wouldn't stop with us but would flow straight through us. Uh, Give us opportunity and heart to do what is right in caring for others. Uh, Father, we ask that all our days we would walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.